Rusty Quill presents. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Tonight's broadcast is brought to you by Minerva's Pop Hat Top Hat Solution. Can't announce your exit with enough authority? Showing style but can't grasp the substance. Let Minerva's Pop Hat Top Hat absolve your auditory acrimony. Minerva's Pop Hat Top Hat solution is a thunderclap and a chapeau, delivering a sonic shattering boom with every flick from flat to fully erect. A boom so powerful it's been known to shatter glass and even frighten children. Good day, sir, indeed. Minerva's Pop Hat Top Hat solution. Save your regrets for tomorrow. Hope's fingers wrapped around Charity's neck her thumbs pressing hard on her trachea. Charity had just slipped from consciousness, just behind the curtain in the dark stage of the variety theater of Madame Mustaches. The audience had breached the doors, slowly streaming in, taking their seats. The house a murmur of rumors of the murder that had taken place on that very stage the night before. One slight tug on the curtain rope, 
and the audience would be witnessing the second murder on that very spot and open the show to the one-night-only murder follies. I am the stage manager. Mustaches is mine. Hope sneered, drooling into Charity's face as she shook her. Charity was gone. Her eyes rolled back into her head. A thick metal microphone stand impacted with the back of Hope's head, cracking her to the side, her forehead bouncing off the wood of the stage. Charity was still, and then quietly gasped for breath. Westerly placed the mic stand down. I usually take my mics to the face. Back of the head looks rough, he said. Hope grabbed the back of her head, wild-eyed and full of rage, the light casting over her face from the curtain slit. Charity gasped, touching her throat, tried to sit up. What? Hope? Why? Maisie Myers the Curio and Inspector Bennett from Needle Street ran in from the wings, responding to the sound of the scuffle. What's going on here? Bennett asked. Now you stay down, Hope. You ice it right out, said Westerly. Bennett helped sit Charity up to help her breathe. Don't get too close. She's rabid. Maisie eyed Hope closely. Maisie asked Bennett for his lighter and struck it, looked into Hope's eyes. Blisters at the corner of her mouth, bloodlust in her pupils. I don't think Hope is Hope. Hope struck the lighter out of Maisie's hands and it snuffed out as it tumbled. She jumped from Maisie just before the light snuffed out. Bennett shouted from Maisie. A snarl. Hope had recovered the fire axe and hunched over, wild-eyed, slowly edged out of the darkness towards Charity and Bennett, crouched just near the curtain slit, the only light. Hope, now just calm down. No one's replacing anyone. I'm sure this is just some pre-show jitters. Charity put her hands up in front of her, trying to calm Hope and show no threat. She was edging towards the curtain, about to burst through it and into the audience. Hope lifted the axe above her head. Bennett positioned himself to the side, ready to tackle. Westerly snuck in a quick pinch of his bottom. He looked over his shoulder. He shrugged and winked. Hope took a step forward. Charity gripped the curtain. A ruffle from up above. The skid of a rope. Friction, and then collapse as a heavy sandbag released from the rafters and came screaming down on top of Hope's head, impacting her shoulder and flattening her to the stage. That did it. Maisie said, walking into the light. She kicked the firewax away from Hope. Hope moaned a low moan. She started coughing, and then hacking in a wicked wretch. A deep gurgle in Hope's guts. A wiggle and a writhe. Hope started to gag and choke. She grabbed at her own throat. She spewed at the boards. Something long, black, wet, and sloppy extended her throat and slipped out of her mouth onto the floor and quickly slid away into the shadows. There, Maisie said. Bennett grabbed the fire axe, and she and Bennett chased it into the dark, off the stage, and towards the dressing rooms. Hope seemed disoriented and weak. Westerly and Charity rolled the sandbag off of her. Westerly put her hand to Hope's forehead. Darling, you are running a temperature. And food poisoning to boot. Oof. 
why she's delirious. What was that? asked Charity, rubbing her bruised throat. Maisie and Bennett chased the tiny, mysterious black creature into the shadows across the stage, down the steps into the hallway, Maisie in the lead, Bennett close behind. As he turned the corner, Maisie had silently stopped and pointed at the gap under the door of Annie May's dressing room. Bennett raised his fist to knock on the door, just as he heard the audience erupt. The murder follies had started. The curtain opened. Westerly took the stage, and the audience roared. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Madame Mustaches, the Murder Follies. Speaking of gentlemen, I hope you don't mind the brief. I have a few back in my But what I hear tomorrow is Maybe I'll stay for a few. Hey, Westerly. Let's go, let's go, let's crack and let's hop in. I'm ready. I'm ready for my new part. What part is that, buddy? I'm here to play the pharaoh. Is that why you've got that kooky headdress on? Yeah, yeah, I'm ready to play the pharaoh. But it's the murder follies, buddy. It's not Curse of the Pharaoh. What happened to the pharaoh? The pharaoh is dead. If people were concerned with Arthur's death, it didn't show. The audience settled into their seats, reassured by Westerly's calm confidence and humor. Any thoughts about Curse of the Pharaoh dissipated as they were lured into an evening by the talents of Madame Mustaches. Rudy seemed a little nervous, but it didn't really matter. It was Mabel's act anyway. The love story, the horns, it moved on pretty quickly. Buddy and Westerly in clear command of the evening. Inspector Bennett was in Annie May's dressing room. As Buddy took the stage, and the show continued. Okay, 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 everybody. I got one for you tonight, and you've never heard it before. I promise you that. I promise you, I got one for you. This one's great. Family walks in with Halliday, see? It's a father, a mother, a son, a daughter, and a daughter. Father says to tell you, we've really amazing acting. You should represent us. The agent says, I don't represent family. Annie May slid into her jacket for the tuxedo and garters costume. Black tap shoes, long black stockings, a slim black skirt, tight white dress shirt with black buttons, a bow tie, and a silk black top hat. She tucked herself in the mirror, dabbed at her lips with a handkerchief, and then poured herself a glass of water. Water, she offered to Bennett. Normally, it would be champagne, but I can't tonight. My mind is already all over the place, and I haven't done this number in a while. No, thank you. Not to worry, though. They never know, meaning the crowd. If I miss a line, I just play a little flirty, and no one ever knows. I'm Inspector Bennett, and this, he turned around. But Maisie was gone. This shouldn't take long, he said. We have a few acts, but there's no rush. 
And anyway, it's like three bananas. The offer to chair. Bennett's notes. Annie May, stage and screen actress. No notes. Currently searching for black gooey thing that came out of hope while trying to interview Annie May. Bennett looked at the floor, but didn't see any markings on the rug. Did you see anything come in here? I'm not sure. A rat or something? Something dark and small. Like Benny? No. What do you call it? Didn't you want to ask me about Arthur? Yes, thank you, yes, I did. The aristocrat. How well did you know him? Pretty well. We used to talk a good deal. We were always working on new scenes or throwing ideas around. He was real good that way. Collaborative. From the others, it doesn't sound like he had any enemies. Not really. Everyone felt sorry for him. He was a nice fella and all. Kept his hands to himself, mostly. Wrote some good lines. Any idea why he might have been murdered? I'm sorry, Inspector. Can I help you? Did you drop a pencil or something? I doubt it's under my sofa. Sorry, Ms. May. Were you aware that Arthur and Mr. Valerio had a disagreement over the Pharaoh ending? Annie May poured herself a glass of water in a champagne glass and sipped it. Water? She again offered some to Bennett. No, he said. Thank you. Popular drink around here. Now he was curious. Hard to stay sober after Artie's death, but we'll save the bender for after the show. I'm sure. Did you know about Rudy and Arthur? I did. Not much I don't know about Rudy. I have to keep track of his tantrums. I hate it. He throws a tantrum on billing or dressing room and I have to follow suit, or else he upstages me and takes the lead as the star of the mustache. Hard enough to fight for the lead parts, but backstage I have to keep up with his infantile grouses. So do you think Rudy would go that far? Rudy's a cream puff. Pretty face, but no sand. Did he want to? Annie heard the applause from the crowd. You a fan of the theater, Inspector? Can't say that I am. Why don't you stay and watch the show? You never know. Might wake something up. Annie adjusted her cuffs and checked her makeup. She dabbed at the corners of her mouth. I'll leave you to it. Let me know if you see anything strange. While Bennett interrogated Annie May, Maisie continued to look for clues. She found traces of black goo in Rudy Valerio's dressing room, more at Hope's stage manager station, and a trail coming off the stage into the dressing room area. Mr. Fitz pointed upward. What? Up there? She climbed up the ladder to the rigging and lights and made her way over the top of the stage. I'm a gentleman. You are a rummy. I'm a rummy? I know how to act with people. You met your friends. Okay. So what am I looking for? Maisie asked Mr. Fitz. I spoke like a gentleman. I climbed all the way up here because you're scared of a little black girl. Did not. Who had me climb down under the stage in the first place? I'm not. That shows I'm a gentleman. I'm not staying up here because it's safe. I have a job to do. What if Bennett... I don't care if you can see the show from here. It's not about that. 
I can leave you up here and come back later, but I have to get back to you. The piano fired up, and Annie Mae came onto the stage, tap dancing out from the wing to the top hat, to immediate applause. Maisie felt the warmth of the can lights as she moved past over several tied sandbags. Annie took a bow, grabbed a drink off the table, and changed the tempo. She pulled off her tearaway skirt, revealing her stockings and garters underneath. Bennett came from the back and stood with Charity to watch Annie Mae's performance. Especially now that I have my champagne. And all the clouds that lured upon our house. In the deep bosom of the ocean buried. Fright the souls of fearful adversaries. She capers nimbly in her lady's chamber. To lascivious pleasing of a lute. But I, that am not shaped for sportive tricks, nor made to court an amorous looking glass. I, that am rudely stamped. Annie May was absolutely hypnotizing, channeling the bard as she intertwined Gloucester and Anne into some kind of soliloquy, seducing in the crowd, making the interplay between her and them a lifetime of performance, of seeking approval, of overwhelming audiences with the power of her talent. And that's so lamely and unfashionable that dogs bark at me as I halt by them. Why I, in this weak piping time of peace, have no delight to pass away the time, unless to spy my shadow in the sun, and discant on mine own deformity. And therefore, since I cannot prove a lover, to entertain these fair well-spoken days, I am determined to prove a villain. This is what you want, is it not? That I am the bad guy and hate the idle pleasure of these days. Look, Annie suddenly turned on the audience, Lots have getting vicious. Induction is dangerous by drunken prophecies, libel, and dreams. What black magician conjures up this fiend to stop devoted charitable deeds? What? Do you tremble? Are you all afraid? Alas, I blame you not, for you are mortal, and mortal eyes cannot endure. Was my beauty the cause of that effect? Did it haunt you in your sleep to undertake the death of all the world so you might live one hour in my sweet bosom? If I thought that, I'd tell thee homicide. Annie Mae was frothing at the mouth, shouting, she made her hands in claws. 
to dug her nails into her cheeks, scraping lines down her ceiling, trails of speckled blood. She threw props at the crowd, livid, overcome with rage. She shattered the mirror and with bloody hands picked up a shard of broken mirror glass. She was crying, her mascara running down her face with tears and mixing with the blood droplets from the scratches. Charity grabbed Bennett's arm. It was hard to tell what was real. Was this anime's performance of a lifetime? A tribute to Arthur and her grief? Or was something terribly, terribly wrong? What if thou please to hide in this true bosom, and let the soul forth that adoreth thee? I lay it naked to the deadly stroke, and humbly beg the death upon my knee. Annie looked to the wings and gave Charity and Bennett a stern look, and subtly shook her head no. That hand which for thy love did kill this love, shall, for thy love, kill a far truer love. To all of our deaths thou shalt be accessory. Annie May raised the glass shard. But since you teach me how to flatter you, imagine I have said farewell already. Maisie dropped Mr. Fitz from above in the rafters. He fell to the stage and tumbled near Annie May, distracting her for a moment. Just long enough for Bennett to rush and tackle Annie May before she could finish. Charity pulled the curtain fast. In tears, the overwhelmed crowd took to their feet and slowly... The applause started and rose to a deafening wave after wave. Maisie slid down one of the ropes and hopped off on the stage. She checked Mr. Fitz for damage and put him back in her coat. Annie May screamed as a black liquid spurted out of her mouth. Annie convulsed in a wicked wretch, gagged and choked. A terrible dark worm emerged from her throat and out of her mouth onto the stage in a puddle of black goo. A long, slippery parasite wiggled out of her throat and onto the boards. Bennett got a grip on it, but it wriggled free. It rose up a few inches as if to taste the air and sense all of the people in the audience. Maisie jumped towards it, but the parasite was quick and slithered down off the stage onto the floor and into the audience without much notice from the crowd. It was lost among a sea of people, enthralled with the commitment and effect of Annie's performance. Maisie and Bennett stared at each other in horror. The curtain dropped. And Westerly was far too stunned to say goodnight. The crowd slowly filtered out the doors and out onto the street for drinks and a little more fun. The audience left, elated at the power of the performance, the talk for days. The house swept up, the lights on, the stage emptied. It was late. Max was in his office with Hope, who was on the cot, sipping whiskey and trying to figure out how to stage Pharaoh. Hope was avoiding an apology and explained she just blacked out from the stress of the show, thought Charity was some kind of intruder. Inspector Bennett escorted Rudy back to Needle Street for more questioning, using the back alley after the crowds had gone home. The comedians were all on a full bender, all in their dressing room, telling stories about Artie, laced with gallows humor in an impromptu wake. Up on the stage, Charity held a bag of ice to her neck. She positioned the ghost light in the center and sat down in front of Penelope, the piano, on the quiet stage alone. Annie Mae had ran to her dressing room after the performance and wouldn't come out, barricading the door. But in this quiet moment, she slipped out and stepped out onto the stage in her silk robe, her hair wet after taking a sink bath after her ordeal. 
The blood blotted from her cheeks with small makeshift bandages. She quietly sat next to Charity and placed her head on her shoulder. Charity wrapped her arms around her and held her without saying a word. Maisie came out of the shadows of the theater from the middle of the rows. I was just going to make my drop to the DOC. You ladies all right? I think the danger is gone. For now. Yeah, Charity said. Annie closed her eyes and nodded. Maisie took a fond look at Penelope. She climbed up the stool and lifted the cover. She played a few notes. Quite an ordeal. Quite an ordeal. Rough times. She played some more. I can't remember how this goes. More notes. I miss my father. Me too, said Charity. I never knew mine, said Annie. I haven't talked to my mother in ages. But I often imagine both of them out there in the audience, just past the lights in the dark, watching me. Okay. Okay, last time, Maisie whispered into her coat. Annie Mae pressed her face into Charity's shoulder and sighed deeply. Did I ever tell you the story of Perfectly Good? Charity asked Annie. Once there was a kingdom of prosperity that had everything they could ever want materially. They lived in their riches. They never wanted to fix their problems. They just wanted to replace them. Next to the kingdom of prosperity was the kingdom of perfectly good. This kingdom took the cast off of the kingdom of riches. So they gathered the socks of the holes and the dented cans of food and the odd potatoes. They even took the cast off people from prosperity, the strange ones and misfits and odd potatoes. They took the old bits and the odd bits and with some love and care, they made a perfectly good life in their perfectly good kingdom all their own. The perfectly good kingdom made up for their lack of riches with stories. They made up the most wonderful of stories. And so the odd bits and the odd people and the odd potatoes didn't mind so much they didn't have riches. As the stories, instead of feeling off for being odd, they made them feel valuable and useful. They didn't need much to tell their stories. A cast-off ladder was a tower. A rolling blue bolt of cloth was the sea. A piece of metal was the rumble of thunder. The talents of making do with the perfectly good and filling the rest in with stories were great talents. And then one day, there was a visit from the Kingdom of Prosperity. With all the riches in the land, the Kingdom of Prosperity had forgotten how to tell stories. They simply didn't have anything to tell stories about. Since stories were about struggle, and so lacking, their kingdom started to fall apart with their big gold towers filled with cold riches, and no reason why. So they came to the kingdom of perfectly good, to see the perfectly good people tell their stories that were filled with riches. And that is why 
forever and ever. It is better to live in the kingdom of perfectly good and have a wealth of stories than live in a hollow kingdom of prosperity. Our stories lead us through pain and heartache and they give us a reason why. They are our sewn patches and patched pipes and the odd potatoes of our imagination that make us all perfectly good. There is no better kingdom than this perfectly good kingdom of ours. <laughs>